Welcome back to another episode of the Geek Roundtable. This is episode number 38. I am your host, Kenny, and joining me for today's roundtable are my good friends, Megan, Jamie, Jana, Beth, and Tom. For today's roundtable, we'll be discussing John Williams. He is by far my favorite composer. I have so many childhood memories of listening to his soundtracks, his themes for some of my favorite movies of all time, like Star Wars and E.T. and Jaws. They're just incredible. So I was really looking forward to getting together this group to discuss John Williams. So I'm not going to say much now. We're just going to jump on in and take a listen to our roundtable on John Williams. All right, it's time for our roundtable, and joining me are an amazing group of people that I, lots of first-timers here. I have Jenna. Hi. Beth. Hey there. Jamie. Hi, everyone. Megan. Hello. And Tom. Hello there. So to, I appreciate you guys taking the time during your busy days to come and chat with me. Of course. Uh, this is going to be a fun one, I think. This is uh, an amazing composer, artist uh, that I've admired for many, many years. We're going to be discussing John William and his music. Yay! I'm going to do a really quick bio of you know what he's done and stuff like that, and then we'll go into the discussion here. So John Towner Williams was born February 8th, 1932. He's an American composer, conductor, pianist, and trombonist, regarded by many as one of the greatest film composers of all time. He has composed some of the most popular, recognizable, and critically acclaimed film scores in cinematic history in a career that has spanned over six decades. Williams has won 25 Grammy Awards, seven British Academy Film Awards, five Academy Awards, and four Golden Globe Awards. With 52 Academy Award nominations, he is the second most nominated individual after Walt Disney. In 2005, the American Film Institute selected Williams' score to 1977 Star Wars as the greatest film score of all time. The Library of Congress also entered the Star Wars soundtrack into the National Recording Registry for being culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. That sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> William has composed the music and served as music director for nearly 80 films, including Saving Private Ryan, Amistad, Seven Years of Tibet. Gotta take a breath. There's a lot here. <laughs> <laughs> the Lost World, Rosewood, Sleepers, Nixon, Sabrina, Schindler's List, Jurassic Park, Home Alone, Far and Away, JFK, Hook, Presumed Innocent, Always, Born on the Fourth of July, and the Indiana Jones Trilogy, The Accidental Tourist, Empire of the Sun, The Witches of Eastwick, all the Star Wars movies, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Superman, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Jaws, and the first three Harry Potter films. Williams has also composed numerous classical concertos and other works for orchestral ensembles and solo instruments. He served as the Boston Pops principal conductor from 1980 to 1993 and is a laureate conductor. He's been associated with director Steven Spielberg since 1974, composing music for all but five of his feature films. Other works by Williams include theme music from the 1984 Olympic Games, NBC Sunday Night Football, The Mission, themed used by NBC News and Seven News in Australia, yep. the television series Lost in Space and Land of the Giants, and the incidental music for the first season of Gilligan's Island. William was inducted to the Hollywood Bowls Hall of Fame in 2000 and received a Kennedy Center honor in 2004 and the AFI Life Achievement Award in 2016. He has composed the score for eight of the top 25 
highest grossing films in the U.S. His work has influenced other film composers and contemporary classical and popular music. Wow. He's done a lot. (laughs) (laughs) He's just getting started. Yeah, and he's not stopping. So this is only the beginning. So let's go ahead and so that's discuss. that's about all the time we have, right, Kenny? That's it. That's yeah, it. Thanks, thanks for joining me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I just want to—I have a few questions here, and we'll go, and then I have some fun facts about uh, John Williams. So let's go ahead and just start with the first question: Is what are some of your favorite scores of Williams? And I first had what's your favorite score, and I knew that would be agonizing, <laughs> right? Because even myself, I couldn't just pick one that I yeah. like as my favorite. So I said, "What are some of your favorites?" So let's go ahead and start with Beth. Well, I think my my favorite, the one that always sticks with me, is the Harry Potter score. I love mm, that one from the yeah. first one, especially. Yep, that's on my list as well. Yeah, yeah. Is there some, a reason why? Um. Well, I mean. I've been a fan of John Williams, like, you know, growing up, because, I mean, he's done basically all the movies I love. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was just something about that score. It was so different. Mm-hmm. And just the way it is, the, the the fact that it's so magical. When I used to read, when I started reading the books, I had that score playing. Because yeah. it built the world. It was the world. It was everything you were looking for in Harry Potter. And yeah. so it just, it stuck with me as being one of his most original scores. Yeah. Of everything. Because there is a little bit of repetition if you hear his music back to back, which, yep. of course, there is with all composers. But Harry Potter, for some reason, stood out. To me, it was like one of his most original pieces that he's done in recent years. Yeah. Yeah. I know when I listen to Harry Potter music, it makes my heart smile. Just yeah. a few notes and you're yes. you're smiling and you're happy. And I love that, that he can do that. I mean, it's, it's the same with Star Wars as well, but that's because oh, yeah. I was seven when I when I went and saw it for the first time. Jenna, how about you? Do you have a favorite? I don't know about a favorite. We have a lot. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't know. The, the uh, Home Alone kind of stands oh, yeah. out yeah. for me. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not a big fan of Christmas just because it's so expensive. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but when I was in high school, we did a John Williams tribute in marching band. And we oh. did like Star Wars and Indiana Jones and Close Encounters. And I'm cutting into all this. But for Christmas, we weren't marching anymore. And we did a Home Alone tribute. And I, I, I just I, that was the first time that we had done something from a movie that I knew and grew up with, and it was just kind of meant a lot to me. So mm-hmm. that's just always kind of stuck with me when I that's think cool. of John Williams. Yeah. What, what yeah, very play? cool. I played the flute. Yeah. And, and our, our band director, he was a trumpet player. So during our marching parts, you know, the trumpet players always got the good parts, like in the bass players, like the, you know, the Imperial death March and, and all that. Sure. And, but the flute players got, you know, the high trills and stuff. So <laughs> That made me feel special, even though you probably couldn't hear us. But <laughs> <laughs> nice. How about you, Jamie? My most favorite score by John Williams is Empire of the Sun. I absolutely just kind of like, I mean, when I was a teenager, I was kind of obsessed with it, or maybe even it may have may have first started before I was a teenager. The song Cadillac of the Skies or Cadillac in the Skies which is uh, Cadillac of the Skies, is my favorite track by John Williams. I, that movie is very different. I think I think that's one of Steven Spielberg's most underrated films. And it, I don't know, I just it, it like just find it very, very moving. And to follow up on Jenna's marching band, my first year in marching band, uh, which was eighth grade. And even though I did play clarinet and sax, I was actually in the banner line that year. And we did the music of Superman and mm. uh, Leia's theme and Luke and Leia from, you know, one from Star Wars and one from Return of the Jedi and the, the music of uh, Indiana Jones. And I think it was in that that it made me go, 
oh, I don't really own any classical soundtracks. And I went and like sought them out on tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. like 1989 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I now own it on CD as well. But yeah, and it, it uh, and, and that was the, one of the first ones that I got. Star Wars, I believe, was the first one I got, but that was second. Yeah. Nice, nice. Megan? Um, I had a really hard time with this. I'm, I'm going to have to say Hook. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Nice. I yeah. That. That's you have a reason. It's, um, well, it, I I just I saw Hook when I was very young and going through a very rough period in my childhood, like a lot of stuff going on with the parents and all that. And mm-hmm. I just remember like holding on to this movie like crazy. Wow. And every time I hear that music, I can pick that music out of anything. We go to Universal <laughs> and I can pick that out a theme park away. Yeah. And it always just instantly relaxes me. And I'm just like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's great. How about you, Tom? Well, we uh, I'm so happy to be a part of this one because uh, by easily my all time favorite composer. Um, I, and I love many composers who are associated with awesome films and I collect a lot of them but I have no one I have no more uh, scores from anyone than John Williams mm-hmm. and I, I wanted to like self-eliminate the indies the Star Wars and and Jaws just because I figured they would be you know spoken about ad nauseum but they haven't been <laughs> which is kind of funny <laughs> so uh, I think we're, we're all avoiding the obvious a little yeah, bit yeah so. exactly. <laughs> Those are like exactly. givens. Those, yeah. those are our, yeah, they're givens. We yeah, those are like those. the givens, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and I own all of those, and I own Jaws on vinyl and CD. I, I, I own every John Williams CD that you can buy not wow. spending something like 70 or more dollars on the damn thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most I've spent on one is 45 you know, once it's over 50, I just, I'm like, I, oh, Tom, you can't. <laughs> so avoiding those obvious ones, which I love, uh, and like uh, Megan said, I can pick out anywhere at any time, at any note. Lately, and I, I listen to him almost three, four times a week. Um, lately, I've been listening to Schindler's List, Lincoln, Angela's Ashes, and Amistad. Wow, you're on uh, the more serious route. Yeah. These are very pensive scores. These are very serious scores. They uh, all, all four of those films are wonderful. Schindler's List is a perfect film, as Kenny knows. I, I have 44. It's on the list. I just, I, I need those scores to get mm. through the moments that uh, life is tough. Life is tough, and it's tougher right now for historical context. This episode is mid-pandemic, and I need this stuff. You know, uh, Kenny and I were talking about how he's turned to certain movies, and I avoided some. But I think maybe what I've been doing is I've been turning to these scores. Mm, That's great. I, I think that's actually part of the power of John Williams is that he's always been very good about finding that emotional beat. Definitely. And that's where you can really just connect to anything emotionally in his music. So, yeah, I can totally see that being a place you'd want to uh, explore and then, you know, find uh, others in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. funny to be able to take solace in uh, four rather sad scores. But they they do. They, there's, of course, these movies. Um, three of the four of them are Spielberg films. And... 
all Spielberg films, even the darkest of them, have that hope spring, that wellspring mm. of hope. And the Spielberg movies, as Kenny said, all but five have been scored by Williams. So they're kind of, they're inextricably linked for me. They're mm -hmm. also, and I'm sure Kenny can relate. Yep. I'll let Kenny do his answer so I can <laughs> dry my eyes. But, um, <laughs> Uh, they're also linked so much to, for somebody like me and Kenny, our age for our childhood. So mm. not not those adult scores I'm talking about. Those came out in the 90s and later. Um, but still, that, that Williams sound is something very much associated with the 80s, with my childhood, with the toys associated with the movies, mm -hmm. associated with these scores. It's just all wrapped up in a childhood that I pine for, you know? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, obviously I totally understand where you're coming from. My, my pick other than star Wars, cause star Wars, like I said, I was six years old when it came out and yeah. it blew me away. Yeah. Uh, it would be E.T. E.T. Um, E.T. Yes. I, Kenny. I, I was, I was 12 years old when E.T. came out. So I was yeah. the perfect age for that movie. Yeah. You know, so, and as Tom eloquently already said this, is that you associate the movie with the music, with the time of your life, with right. the feeling you had at that moment. And I, I, I mean, because this is the time where, well, I was 12, and I saw E.T. probably like 20-something times in the theater. Wow. Um, yeah, I was yeah, four like, or five or something. Yeah. Like that when it came out, so I was like, Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, I, I created an E.T. fan club with my neighbor kids. <laughs> my dad used to take all of us to screenings. You know, we would do outings. I did a little – I mean, I went all out. I was a huge E.T. fan. So that – and that score always takes me back to that moment in time Yeah. when it was just – I was just enjoying life at the time. You know, I was 12. I didn't have any cares in the world. Yeah. You know, and that, was, that to me eight. will always be – yeah, that will always be – John, I mean, other than like Harry Potter, like Beth said, yeah. again, that's, and I was 20 something, was it 20 something, maybe 30 something when Harry Potter came out, but it still has that same effect of bringing joy to you. Just hearing a few notes, Star, the, all, I'm, a lot of this music, other than the serious stuff, I mean, I like his serious stuff for the, you know, the, the bigger, seri more serious movies, but most of my fond memories are of the more fun sci-fi-ish fantasy yeah. um, John Williams stuff. Harry but Potter just... was 2001. Okay. So I was 31 when that came out. I, I think about um, something like, like E.T. was probably my alien movie of my childhood. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Movie and, and, and then, and then, you know, uh, one of my favorite sci-fi movies of the eighties, but I think about Close Encounters, which I think just came out when I was either not alive or too young to see it. I did not see it until I was a teenager. But that mm -hmm. movie is literally the plot of the movie is the soundtrack, <laughs> kind of in, in yeah. parts, you know. So it, mm -hmm. you know, to you could not remove John Williams from that movie and still have Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Not that you could really same, have his film. Yeah. Same with Jaws. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, oh, if you yeah. remove that, <laughs> that that was, was a, it. Same with Jurassic Park. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You try removing yeah. that song and still have Jurassic Park. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, he he is pretty incredible. So this leads me to my next question, which is great. Why do you think the majority of people, because there are people who hate him, and I don't understand them, what? but I, I can't why do you this? think, the, yeah, I know. Why do you think the majority of people love John Williams' music? I mean, some of us kind of hinted at it, you know, but 
if you want to, if you can clarify it a little bit more, do you, anyone want to speak up? I mean, it, it is a, a time in your life and you remember, mm-hmm. cause it's so, it spans over so many decades. Mm-hmm. And so no matter where you are and what you're watching, it's there and it's just got to bring you back and, and just that that's gotta be why people love him. I can't, I can't imagine anybody not liking him, but, (laughs) but I mean, I I think that's part of it. And, you know, going back to marching band, part of it, we played the cantina song and just that little bit of fun mixed (laughs) in (laughs) with everything. And it was so much fun. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That one. And, you know, that was me in high school, but it was playing music that I'd already known from growing up. Yeah, I just I just think it just has a part to do. It, it sinks in. It knows mm-hmm. it has a part in your life and yeah. you'll always remember it. Yeah, yeah. Anyone well, else? It's just it's really interesting when it comes to the fact that he's paired with people like Spielberg and with Lucas because mm-hmm. the films that they also made during that time hit the uh, public consciousness in an interesting right. way. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the fact that those are impactful on their own as movies and then you throw this music in there that goes that harkens back to an older type of music. The big orchestral lush yeah. feeling that was not being done in movies at that time. Right. Yeah. So the fact he did that with these iconic kind of things, it's a weird collision of two styles all coming together at mm-hmm. once. And it's just it is interesting because yeah, especially for those of us who are hidden childhood, it means so much more mm-hmm. because of that. Because we heard that song over and over again. So there's a huge amount of impact. And that's why I'm curious because John, you know, hasn't been making a lot of new scores lately in his older years. So I'm curious how many people, you know, today are at all interested in him and maybe it is going to be somewhat defined by us and our generation and you know just the movie going general public who understand this is good stuff mm-hmm. like will it be as impactful to anyone else yeah I don't know, maybe I, they all I, just want Billie eilish songs uh, i hope not i hope his, i think his music can withstand time hmm. um you know because i mean i mean you look at star wars and there's still my nephew who's 12 now 11 he adores star wars the original movies Loves them. It might be because his dad loves them and his uncle loves them. Yeah. But he, but you know, so that music is ingrained in him. He already knows the theme. He knows that. So he will grow up loving that. So I think I don't see it ending anytime soon. I, you know, um, and yes, his, I think his, his older stuff is more, is more well known because they were in bigger movies. Uh, now, do you think the movies, not to, did anyone else want to talk about John Williams? Well, the, uh, the guy yeah. will be 90 next year. Right. And he's yeah. been writing for six decades. And uh, once you hit Jaws, you sent us a list. Um, and there is 111 entries on this list. <laughs> yes. Once you hit I was Jaws, I was going to read them, but I'm like, there's no way I'm going to It would be hilarious. <laughs> if you want, I'll do it at the end, and then you can do it in Super okay, there we go. Yeah. Sound, but, I'll do a speed, a really yeah. speed one. But you hit Jaws. Jaws was the 42nd thing on the list. So we're talking about mm-hmm. from 42 to 110. And if you notice, I am I printed them and emboldened them. And if you look, these are the ones that I own. Wow. And yeah. the underlined you ones are the ones that are in this collection of movies behind me. What we're talking about is probably... I'd be hard pressed to name anyone who's done more significant work consistently for as long in any area of film mm-hmm. besides Spielberg, perhaps, who is linked, as we said. But, you know, what a career. Like every mm. choice 
he made. There is no... The closest to a bomb on this list is an awesome movie. Like, everything is awesome. <laughs> the least powerful movie on this list, I love. So it's like, you know, what? Which one is it? Which one is it? Uh, <laughs> I would say... I would say Space Camp is perhaps the weakest <laughs> on the list. And I love, I love Space, Space Camp. Camp. I know you Me love too. Space yeah. Camp, Kenny. Yeah. I love you know, Space Camp. Everyone loves it. How do you yeah, not love Space Camp? Imagine the 80s and 90s, something like Always for a Steven Spielberg movie was not a major release for him. No, yeah. I mean, no. I love, True. love the score to Always. So like that, if, you know what I mean? It, it can, totally. Something like that can elevate even the things. But also the audience or, you know, the general public might expect like we want every Spielberg, you know, slash John Williams collaboration to be another Star Wars, Superman or Indiana Jones. And that is just right. not realistic. People want right. to freak out and do other things and they want to make yeah. the Empire Sons and the Always and the Amistads and things as well. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. totally. Now, now, Jamie brought this was a good point. Do you think his music elevated movies to what they are? For sure. Like like without we said, Jaws wouldn't be Jaws without the da da da, da you know that right. kind of without a doubt. Even Steven Spielberg admitted that there was um, there was an anniversary concert two years ago, and Steven Spielberg was he was there, and he brought it up. He was like, "I'm going to show you a clip from Indiana Jones, and it's not going to be the same movie. John completes my movies. He gives them life. I make mm. very pretty wow. pictures. He makes them live." And anyone who's worked with him has basically said the same thing. He gives the movie life. Yeah. He is the, yeah. the backbone yeah. and the soul to every film he does. So. Wow. That's It wouldn't great. be the same. I'm finally lucky to have seen John Williams score in person. I missed it every year. I could never get tickets when he would come to the Hollywood Bowl. And then I would try later on and there would be hundreds of dollars. And then finally the summer of either 2018 or 2019 around then. And I said, I don't. You know, I have a little bit of extra money to spend and I don't care how much it costs. And I'm going to buy I bought the ticket like the day of the show <laughs> and went. And it wasn't too bad. I think I spent like $65 on my ticket or something like that. And it was fine. But yeah. I wanted to, to be John Williams scored by John Williams instead of waiting and having it be the music of John Williams. But sorry, he's not around anymore to, to, right. to be mm -hmm. right. or whatever to be here. Yeah. 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 Tom, did you have something? I do. George Lucas said, and George Lucas is a love him, like him, feel indifferent about him. He is a control freak, really does mm -hmm. not relinquish yeah. any part of his movies. The prequels being the biggest example of that, in my opinion. The one person on the entire team that he does not micromanage is John Williams. He just says, I know John will do it. So for yeah. somebody like George, who is like... <laughs> until he sold yeah. Lucasfilm, the martinet of every frame of the film. Yeah. He he beats Francis Ford Coppola in in minutia. There there is a um we were talking before we started recording about, you know, interesting things about him. He was drafted into during the Korean War and he, you know, uh conducted military bands for I believe it's for for the US Air Force, and you can hear that inspiration in oh, yeah. Superman and in obviously the Imperial Death March, but in, in there is a cadence that you can feel that comes out of a lot of his stuff. Yeah. 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 Little Sousa influence. Sousa, I, I was thinking of that. A little Sousa. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. Beth, did you have something you want to? No, just going off of uh, what Jamie was saying about, you know, seeing him 
you know, at the bowl. Oh, yeah. That, that's was, my next question. So I'm going to ask what we, who saw him live and yeah. tell me the experience and how was it? So, Beth, why don't you start? Yeah. So it's so funny because I moved into a, I moved to L.A. in uh, August of 05. And his concerts usually in September. It's usually, uh, what, Labor Day weekend? That, yes. Uh, is that the weekend? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, of course, had no idea what the bull was or what anything was. And a friend of mine that I met was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to see John Williams next week. And I'm like, what? That's a thing? You can do this thing? <laughs> and, of course, I thought it was a one-off. So I'm like, I have to get tickets now. I don't care how it happens. <laughs> so I went and saw it. And then I realized it's every year. And I'm like, every year? I'm going. And so since 05, <laughs> I've gone almost every year. One year, he had to switch dates and then... Once he started kind of handing off the reins and having other composers come in and compose his music, that's when I kind of fell off. But I agree with Jamie. It's like every single time I'm like, this could be the last time I get the chance to see him. Yeah. So I'm going mm-hmm. to go see him. And for me, it was for years, the weekend of that that Labor Day weekend was my our fam, my family, my mom and I would take a vacation together every year for yeah. several years. And finally, when that didn't happen one year and I was, oh, I'm in LA and I'm I don't care what it's going to cost me. And I waited to the last possible second and actually got a really good deal. It was like $5 more than, yeah. than it was. But I, I did once though spend a lot of money on a ticket for a show at Disney concert hall that I thought was a John Williams show. It was about John Williams. Um, they brought John Williams out on stage and he thanked everyone, but John Williams did not, did not actually. Mm, <laughs> he was another conduct. composer. It was the, right. yeah. you know, the main, the main LA Philharmonic composer. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Conductor. But it's so interesting seeing what his lineup is every year. Because some year he actually, some years he would actually support other artists and do other shows, and I, it's very interesting what he would do and what songs of his he would regularly do, and which ones he avoided. Like one year mm. he did something for War of the Worlds. He right. never did it again. Right. Like, that was interesting. <laughs> All right, okay. Only one year did he do anything from Harry Potter that I saw. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. one time he actually did Duel of Fates on stage, which included a whole uh, choir. Yeah. which he's never done again either. So it's always interesting to see what his repeats are, where he's basically saying the fans want this, so I'm going to do this, versus what he emits. And it's he's got such a huge catalog that every year I'm like, ooh, what's up? I get to see it. I don't yeah. care if I've seen it before. I see something new. I'm happy. Right. Yeah, yeah. he can only do so much. Yeah, at the yeah. Hollywood Bowl. The last few years, he's done like half the show, and then the other half he hands off to another composer. Right. Yeah, that's what but I've yeah, seen. Yeah, sometimes he plays film clips. He brings out special guests. Yeah. yeah. It's been almost yeah. every year. Oh, it's always like final weekend in August. And yeah, maybe it was even 2017 when I went. It's been a few years, but it's hard to think because there was no Hollywood Bowl season last year at all. So yeah. yeah, yeah. It's usually around Labor Day weekend. Megan? I went in 2018 and 19. Uh, 19 is when he had Spielberg there because it was a big anniversary and Spielberg was just like, yeah. I love you. No, you guys don't understand. I love this man. <laughs> and, and the bromance was just so wholesome and necessary. And then the year before that, there was uh, Kobe right. was there to talk about Dear Basketball. Yeah, I was so, there too. Oh, I, I think that too. was the year. That was 2018. <laughs> I think that was the yep. year I was at. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. We went. Yeah, we went to that one, and uh, it was just him talking about the whole process. It, it was it was an amazing night. My friend uh, who got us the box tickets essentially, she had seen Kobe backstage while going to the bathroom <laughs> and came back shaking and was like, "I don't know why." <laughs> and I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm happy for you. You're crying. Are you okay? And then he came out and they talked about like the whole dear basketball process yeah. and like, how excited yeah. Williams was to be part of that. And he was just like, oh, that sounds amazing. This is super fun. I love this poem. And I was like, you guys are so adorable. I love creatives who yeah. enjoy working with each other. It's so nice. That experience yeah. at the bowl is, yeah. is um, it's so iconically 
California, so iconically Los Angeles. It's it's something that when the world returns to theaters, amphitheaters, concert halls, which I cannot wait for. Um, anybody listening, if you're planning a trip to California to LA, do it at a time where you can do this. This is my this is my indie fedora from seeing Raiders with the <laughs> with the score performed live, which was unbelievable. I got my indie box set. All the nice. album, all the soundtracks oh, at that wow. time, and I'm surprised by how many people I meet in Los Angeles who have either lived here their whole yeah. lives or who have lived here 20 years or something like that who have never been to the Hollywood Bowl. Um, when I was a child, we came here to visit, and this is pre-September 11th, so things were definitely a little bit more loose on the security. But um, my parents had found out that you could eat lunch at the bowl just totally yeah. free and listen to the mm-hmm. Philharmonic practice. And so we packed like a picnic lunch and sat all alone in like the third row or whatever, like just behind the the pool area and and listened for like an afternoon. And so I knew about that. So when I came, it, it was, my you know, when I, moved here when I was like 20, 21 years old. I was already on my radar. <laughs> yes. yeah. This is a nightmare yeah. to get to. Thank yeah. goodness yeah. there are shuttles. It's like, a nightmare shuttles to get to. Something <laughs> I never drive the bowl. Absolutely. Shuttles and Ubers, no other way to do it. <laughs> yeah, now I, My, I've seen John Williams <coughs> just once. I went to a Star Wars at the Bowl. It was Star. They were playing a, a New Hope. Oh, and it was just a regular orchestra with some conductor. <coughs> uh, but it was still a, it was an amazing experience. But John Williams came out at the end, and the place just went bananas. And then he conducted the Imperial March. Um, <laughs> so I did get to see him conduct that live, and this was years ago. Uh, I feel like I've never been at one of those as well. Yeah, but but I can't. But he wasn't. It wasn't around him. The night was not. No, around. It was a complete shock that he walked out. Yeah, he he just came. Well, he lives out here, and he just came and decided to do uh, the Imperial March for us. And uh, I have it on video. It was such an incredible moment. Um, But that's the only time I've ever seen him. I was never fortunate enough to get tickets to the bowl when he was playing. Um, Uh But yeah, I hope one day see him before we can't one of my my favorite things about uh the experience of the bowl because he did this every year well every year i've seen it um is that yeah at the end yeah he gets the orchestra to stand up they bow he waves at everyone he walks off stage orchestra just stands there and we all just keep cheering and gives about two <laughs> yep. minutes and then he walks back on stage bows again bows to the yep. soloist they walk off stage comes back on stage has the orchestra sit down and they play again we got to do, I think, three encores one year. It's like he would do this whole routine and we would just sit there until the orchestra left. We knew we were getting another one. <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I just love how much fun he still has with yes. it. Yes. He genuinely has so much fun when he yeah, does yeah. live shows. And the man is giddy. He could float to the podium if he really wanted to. <laughs> just, I wish I had that much joy in my life yeah. that he does doing what yeah. I love. He's very sweet. We can very much hear his influence, I will say, upon the new, newer, younger generation of film composers. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And and no matter what anyone might say, like, oh, I don't, you know, if someone is trying to be like, oh, I'm not into John Williams, I'm into whoever. And I'm like, but you can't deny that there's John Williams influence in that person because you hear it all the time. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. All right, so we have some interesting facts. I have the first one here. Williams first studied piano at the age of six. By the time he was in grade school, the son of a CBS radio orchestra percussionist had learned to play bassoon, cello, clarinet, trombone, and trumpet. Wow. 
So uh, he was just very mu- musically inclined. Mm-hmm. Those are all very different instruments, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the brass and the woodwinds. Yeah. And, and that's oh, a great school. Yeah. So that means he was what? No more than like 11? Wow. 10, 11? That's crazy. All right, Jenny, you have the next one? Okay, so he was drafted in 1952 and arranged, played, and conducted music for military bands, including the U.S. Air Force Band. After his time in the service, he moved to New York and studied at Juilliard. Wow. Yeah. So, and that's, I think Jamie mentioned that as well, that he did play for, uh, so I'm assuming that's what he did. He got drafted to play in bands. And to go to Juilliard from... um, Military band marching style is so completely <laughs> different than anything else that, I mean, yeah. besides the, you know, Imperial Death March, but anything yeah. else military <laughs> style, I mean, it's it's not going to happen with his music. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And for him to go from that and then to Juilliard, and, wow, that's just very impressive. He's impressive. Yeah. yeah. He continues to impress me. I was okay. finding these facts and I was like, oh my God, I, I had no idea half this stuff was it's just... <laughs> All right. Well, Beth, you have the next one. So after Juilliard, he worked as a jazz pianist playing in nightclubs. He was uh, known as Little Johnny Love Williams. He was a band <laughs> leader for singer Frankie Lane. Nice. That's that's what this episode should be called. Little Johnny Love Williams. <laughs> on the Geek Round Table. Williams. <laughs> uh, Jamie, you have the next one for us. Yeah, after that, he moved back to Los Angeles from New York and became a studio pianist on film scores. He can be heard playing the famous opening riff on Henry Mancini's Peter Gunn theme. Oh. I will have to look that up because yeah. I'm not sure Peter... I think Peter... Peter, yeah, I think it's a, a TV series. Yeah, yeah. I, so. If you give me a second, yeah. I actually... I, no, that's okay. Yeah, Let's I move have. on. <laughs> I'm sure you can whip something out. <laughs> if you didn't know, Tom likes to do a show and tell. He has everything in that basement. So I just have to mention something. He'll run off and grab it. Uh, all right, Tom, you have the next one for us. Yeah, uh, Williams married Barbara Ruick, an American actress and singer in 1956. They had three children, Jennifer Joseph and Mark Towner Williams. Uh, the two remained married until her death in 1974. In 1980, Williams married Samantha Winslow, a photographer. I like that he had long marriage. And, you know, he, they'd probably still be married if... He's still married to his wife from, from, from 40 years ago. From yeah, if he, yeah if, she didn't, okay. if she didn't pass away, he probably would have still been married to the same one that he initially married. I like that. All right, I have the next one here. In 1960s, John Williams often credited as Johnny Williams, created music for such TV shows as Gilligan's Island, Wagon Train, the Irwin Allen Lost in Space, Land of the Giants, and The Time Tunnel, which I used to watch all this. That's how old I am. (laughs) I mean, I didn't watch them originally when they were released, but I watched them in repeats. Two of those I definitely Uh, watched. Jamie. Uh, Williams would continue scoring the work of Allen on the big screen accompanying the Master of Disaster projects, including the Poseidon Adventure from 1972, Earthquake from 1974, and The Towering Inferno, also 1974, uh, all leading perfectly into Jaws, which I believe is 1975. Yeah, Yeah. I was really surprised that he did all those, because I loved those as a kid and had no idea he did the scores of those. Those are some of the ones that are super hard to find, by the way, and I don't Mm. own those. Oh, the scores? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
really want. I, I, the side adventure I always especially think of, I believe it's Shirley Winters. Shelley yeah. Shelley Winters. Shelley Winters, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, stars of that movie, yeah. her scene of where she swims underwater to help save everyone and then passed away. Her character passed away. Sorry. Yeah. Spoiler yeah. alert from 1972. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it came out before I was born. I probably saw it on television in the 80s, but I still think about that. Yep. Yeah, but so saying she gained a lot of weight for that role, for that specific role. You took so. the only thing I ever loved in this world, <laughs> my Linda. I love that uh, movie. Oh, yeah. So bad. <laughs> 2000s remake is bad. <laughs> Tom, you have the next fact for us. So when Williams first played Steven Spielberg, the simple EF, EF Jaws motif on the piano, Spielberg thought he was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> and Beth? The Jaws score uh, was recorded in March of 1975 with a 73-piece orchestra. That's big, right? How big is normal That's orchestra? Very That's very big. That's a big orchestra. <laughs> That's a very okay. big orchestra. <laughs> Jenna. Okay, so when Williams won his Oscar for Jaws at the 76 Academy Awards, he didn't have far to walk to collect his award as he was conducting the show from the orchestra pit. And he'd get used to taking to the stage for Jaws as he'd also take home awards for the Golden Globes, BAFTA, and Grammys. Nice. Wow. <laughs> nice. So, yeah, just like he's doing the show and then they call his name and he just walks up and, you know, hey, thanks. Well, at, least, <laughs> at least he knows he won't get played off. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Beth, you have the next one? So John Williams' son, Joseph, is the lead singer of Toto. He had a hit uh, with Africa, you may have heard that one, in 1982. Yeah, that's crazy. I had no idea that that wow. was his son. I didn't know that either. Yeah. <laughs> that's quite a legacy. It is, yeah. <laughs> Jenna? Uh, Williams composed the score for Alfred Hitchcock's final film, Family Plot, in 76. I'm going to have to check the database to see if I have Family Plot. I never heard of it. I do not so. remember <laughs> yeah. Family Plot. I don't know that one. Me neither. Yeah. But I, I have a lot of Hitchcock stuff, but uh, I, I wouldn't, I don't know. Tom. His first Academy Award nomination came many years before he started collaborating with Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. It was for Valley of the Dolls, 1967, though he didn't win. He was nominated after that for Goodbye, Mr. Chips. His first actual Oscar win was for the musical direction for Fiddler on the Roof. Nice. Jamie. He composes using a pencil and paper on a small writing desk next to his Steinway piano. He ne apparently never had the time to learn to write music using a computer. I mean, that's probably a generational thing. I'm like, yeah, that, that, that kind of makes sense, though. I love that about him, actually. Spielberg fought, he may have finally acquiesced, but Spielberg um, was buying up, like, m moviolas and uh, Steenbeck editing tables to continue mm -hmm. working with Michael Kahn, who has edited probably as many movies for Spielberg as Williams has scored, mm. to continue to cut linearly. And, um, you know, I know you're an editor, Kenny. I don't know if you ever worked in a linear editing bay, but that's, that, I actually learned how Oh, to... I did. It's hard. That's how I went through college. Oh, did you? Me linear too. Linear bays. Oh, yeah. yeah. I cut music and audio. Yeah. Uh, audio and video. 
Oh, yeah. man. When I looked at it, it was yeah. obviously Mexican Bay as well yeah. in the 90s. And we did have, you had to take that class in order for them to even allow you to learn to take like the computer editing. That's class. awesome. Yeah. They wanted everyone to. There were to, no computer editing software for <laughs> when I was in college. Me neither. <laughs> so we were very I stepped out of Syracuse University and the day after, it seemed the day after I stepped out, bam, they got the Avid. So. No, of yeah, course. I feel the same way. I feel the same way. I feel like I was the last one to cut, you know, actual film in film school. Cool. Yeah. I, yep. I almost went to Syracuse Town, but I grew up there and my parents told me they were going to visit me every weekend. And so I was like, let me go farther away. <laughs> let, me, yeah. let me try LA. <laughs> Where'd you end up going? NYU. Oh, nice. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, I got to go a little bit farther away where my parents can't visit me. <laughs> Uh, all right, let me continue with the facts. Uh, Williams has written many concert pieces, including a symphony, a symphonietta for wind ensemble, a cello concerto premiered by Yo-Yo Ma, and a Boston Symphony Orchestra at Tanglewood in 1994. Concertos for the flute and violin recorded by the London Symphony Orchestra, concertos for the clarinet and the tuba, and a trumpet concerto, which was premiered by the Cleveland Orchestra and their principal trumpet, Michael Sachs, in September of 1996. All right, Jenna, you have the next one? Okay. His bassoon concerto, The Five Sacred Trees, which was premiered by the New York Philharmonic and principal bassoon player Judith LeClaire in 1995, was recorded for Sony Classical by Williams with LeClaire and the London Symphony. In addition, Mr. Williams has composed the well-known NBC News theme, The Mission, Liberty Fanfare, composed for the rededication of the Statue of Liberty, Mm. We're Looking Good, composed for the Special Olympics in celebration of the 1987 International Summer Games, and themes for the 1984, 1988, and 1996 Summer Olympic Games. Wow, nice. Yeah, I had no idea you did any of that. Yeah. Yep. Jamie, you have a fact for us? Williams holds honorary degrees from 14 American universities, including Berklee College of Music in Boston, Boston College, Northeastern University, Tufts University, Boston University, the New England Conservatory of Music, and the University of Massachusetts at Boston. Wow. That's impressive. I mean, nothing this man does impress. I mean, it's all impressive, (laughs) just because I expect it all now. (laughs) He's just amazing. Tom, you have the next fact. Music runs in his family. His father was a jazz percussionist who played with the Raymond Scott Quintet. His brother Donald is a percussionist and conductor. And his brother Jerry is a studio percussionist as well. It's crazy. That music runs in that family's blood. All right, here's the last fact. In 2005, the American Film Institute selected Williams' richly thematic and highly popular score in 1977's Star Wars as the greatest American film score of all time, which I mentioned previously. His score for Jaws and E.T. also appeared on the list at number 6 and number 14, respectively. Wow. So, Oh, that little Johnny Lawrence. <laughs> well, hopefully you guys learned a little bit about John Williams. I definitely did researching this. Do you have any last thoughts on Williams? Do you, I mean, I hope he continues to compose. I know he's 89 years old. So, you know, I don't know how much, you know, he deserves a retirement just to enjoy what, you know, the remaining years of his life. But, you know, I always hope we get a little bit more out of him because I'm sure he still has more amazing music that he needs to produce. So... His, his 89th birthday is next week on February 8th. There we go. Look nice. at that. Happy birthday, nice. John. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys, thank you so much for stopping by and chatting John Williams. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Kenny. Thank you for hosting. 
Of course, of course. And um, yeah, so uh, thank you all, and we'll talk to you guys soon. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. We had so much fun talking John Williams. I learned so much about him as a person, as an artist. I didn't realize he created so much music for so many of, of my favorite movies. Just in general, he, I mean, so many amazing, amazing scores. He is an incredible artist, human being, man, composer, you name it, and I think he's had an amazing career, and I hope we still get more from him in the future. I look forward to seeing what he has next, but I do want to thank my amazing co-hosts for joining me. Once again, Megan, Jamie, Jenna, Beth, and Tom. Thank you guys for joining me for this roundtable. I want to thank my amazing listeners who I wouldn't be here without you guys, so thank you for coming back each month and listening to us babble about something that we love and adore and hopefully you guys are enjoying it along with us but before i go i really want to thank tom he went through and he read all of john williams movies from jaws onward so that's when jaws is when he really became well known and all of a sudden he started composing tons of stuff so this is from jaws onwards had to speed it up a little bit so it didn't run on too long so it's about 45 seconds and uh he does an incredible job. So take it away, Tom. Jaws, Family Plot, The Missouri Breaks, Midway, Black Sunday, Star Wars Episode Four: New Hope, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, The Fury, Jaws 2, Superman, Dracula, 1941, Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, Heartbeeps, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, Yes, Giorgio, Monsignor, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The River, Space Camp, The Witches of Eastwick, Empire of the Sun, The Accidental Tourist, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Born on the Fourth of July, Always, Stanley and Iris, Presumed Innocent, Home Alone, Hook, JFK, Far and Away, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Sabrina, Nixon, Sleepers, Rosewood, The Lost World, Jurassic Park. Seven Years in Tibet, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, Stepmom, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, Angela's Ashes, The Patriot, AI, Artificial Intelligence, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Star Wars Episode Two, Attack of the Clones, Minority Report, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, Catch Me If You Can, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, The Terminal, Star Wars Episode Three, Revenge of the Sith, War of the Worlds, Memoirs of a Geisha, Munich, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, The Adventures of Tintin, War Horse, Lincoln, The Book Thief, Star Wars Episode Seven, The Force Awakens, The BFG, Star Wars Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, Star Wars Episode Nine, The Rise of Skywalker. All right. I can't believe he did so many movies. And that's just, like I said, that's half of his career. He did so much before Jaws, and we just didn't have time to include every single piece of thing he's ever done. So anyways, thank you again, guys, for listening to this roundtable. And until next time, take care. That was the scene in California's Mojave Desert five years ago. Our historic first view of the newcomer's ship. Theirs was a slave ship carrying a quarter million beings bred to adapt and labor in any environment. But they've washed ashore on Earth with no way to get back to where they came from. And in the last five years, the newcomers have become the latest addition to the population of Los Angeles. Alienation, the newcomers podcast, is a fan cast devoted to the groundbreaking but short-lived TV series Alienation. This series tackles social issues like racism, bigotry, and intolerance with an alien twist. Each month, we will bring you a podcast dedicated to a single episode. The host will give you their thoughts on the episode, as well as some little-known behind-the-scenes information. So please subscribe to Alienation, the newcomer's podcast on iTunes, or visit our website at alienationpodcast.com. 
Attention, attention. Are you a fan of MASH, one of the most groundbreaking television series in history? Then take a listen to the MASH 4077 podcast, where hosts discuss their thoughts episode by episode. They will also share with you some little-known behind-the-scenes information, trivia, and so much more. So come and find them on iTunes by searching MASH 4077 podcast or online at www.mash4077podcast.com. I'm Tom, sheltering at home in L.A. I'm Julie, sheltering in the home we both grew up in in Boston. And together, we're We're going going back back through through the the basement. basement. Mom and Dad want us to go through (laughs) all of our toys and belongings. I think Mom and Dad are taking advantage of the pandemic. (laughs) What the f*** is that guy? It's called a wuzzle. Mom, So laugh. (laughs) That thing is so (laughs) fucked up. Get emotional. <laughs> I have a fucking mess over here. And discover what we find and what we keep. Which will probably be everything, Jules. <laughs> I know, right? Thank you to Kenny Mitleider and everyone around the Geek Roundtable. Thank you to all their listeners. From us in the basement, we want you to know you are all keeps. Definite keeps. The Geek Roundtable podcast is a Geeky Fanboy production and has a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives Works 3.0 United States License All Rights Reserved.